Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning and welcome to the IRR show. Uh, this is the only show on South African radio that views current affairs through the lens of classical liberalism. Good morning, everybody. You're joined, of course, by Sarah Gunn. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hello, hello. And uh, me, Big Daddy Liberty. And um, it's good to be back on your airwaves. Remember, the IRR show is on Chai FM every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Good morning and welcome to it. Um, as we always do on the show, we always begin by looking at the news week that was. You know, what got you talking? What was the interesting talking points? Um, what made you, made you laugh or made you angry or made you cry? Um, so we'll have that conversation uh, just after 10 past 7 after our break. And um, we have a very special guest for you today, a voice who I think has been on the show before, but he's done a, um, a very yeah. fantastic and interesting uh, I'll call it a, 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 um, a report, uh, on the, the global phenomena that, that is seeing sports stars, uh, TV stars, you know, politicians taking a knee and owing fealty to this organization called Black Lives Matter. So we're going to have that conversation after the 20, uh, at 20 past nine with our special guest, Gabriel Krasa who is a researcher and uh, writer at the Institute of Race Relations. So get a cup of coffee, get comfortable. We're going to have a chat um, after the short break. After the break, we'll discuss the news week that was. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. All right, so we are back as the IRR show. Sarah, it's been a very fantastic news week insofar as it being very busy. Um, but let me talk, let me start at, the, at what I think is at the top of the uh, minds of uh, South African journalists and perhaps even South Africans right now. That is the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, uh, granting us a 70 billion rand loan. Um, what do we know about that? Well, you see, the, the, what the, the IMF has not uh, has not singularly attached any. Uh, steadfast, well, it doesn't appear to have touched steadfast conditions. We haven't yet actually seen the IMF's letter, um, but it has noted quite early on in the, in, 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 its, in the press releases that it, that the deep, our deep economic recession is a decline in domestic activity that had, was a result of pre-existing structural constraints. Um, they refer to subdued growth and deteriorating social outcomes. In other words, they're saying what we say, and that is that the crisis isn't COVID. The crisis was before COVID, and mm. the crisis, the COVID became a crisis upon that. So they mm. seem to have recognized that. And interestingly, Carol Payton in today's business day says that when we actually see the, uh, the, uh, letter, it will require a, I think it was a 230 billion rand cut in government expenditure. Mm. Now, to me, that's sort of music to my ears because that's a, that is the key area for reducing costs. But mm. the, the issue will be whether we can do it or not. And uh, it's certainly a sign of, this, this throws a gauntlet down to government. Let's put it that way. 
Absolutely. And, and one has to put this into context. Um, you know, the, the $4.7 billion or 70 billion rand, it may seem like a lot of money to someone who's listening. But in reality, if you think about the projected budget shortfall that Tito Mboweni had already mentioned, this is about 300 billion rand. In other words, the amount of money government projects it will collect at the end of this tax year, it kind of puts that into perspective that, you know, the 70 million rand is, is barely a third of that. No, it's, it's uh, you know, we've been working as a family as to how long, you know, will it, will it take as long as a week to somehow get through it? Mm. Um, but because we're used to, we become so used to figures like that and the COVID sort of rescue plan of 500, 500 billion wasn't really there. It was made up of all sorts of promises and possibilities and it was very, in, in effect, very much lower than it purported to be. And it mm. depended so much on fish and government. I mean, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you and I think maybe as a final thought, you know, speaking about that 500 billion rand, the other scary idea or the scary prospect about it was how how that 500 billion also wasn't there, so to speak, given the amount of corruption, um, how a lot of it just disappeared into the, the wily pockets of, you know, tender premiers and, and crooked cages, so to speak. Um, so that's something I think the ordinary South African is perhaps worried when you start hearing mm. that we're taking on more loans, but the actual system of governance, financial mm. governance, is uh, is almost like a, a leaky sieve. Not that you don't mm. have a leaky sieve, but, um, but a sieve <laughs> nonetheless. Well, I think I think the problem is reflected, um, and it is very much a leadership problem. I think, you know, when Cyril Ramaphosa gave his speech on television last Wednesday, he Mm. took a very firm stand about rooting out COVID corruption. Mm. And I think there must have been two people in in the country who actually believed he would do it. Mm. And and that's the problem is, is that it's been this sort of soft, you know, heartfelt threat to take action that has never Never been followed because essentially mm. it would undermine the cadre deployment system in every the, both the cadre deployment and triple B double E. It mm. would undermine those two systems, and they are very close to the ANC's heart. Absolutely. Speaking about undermining systems, let's move on to the other big ticket item. I think that people need to be aware of the Nelson Mandela Municipality or Metro. That's uh, Port Elizabeth has now officially been placed under administration. In other words, the City councillors, per se, have lost their, um, quote-unquote, control of the municipality, and that's being ceded over to the provincial administration. What do we know about this, and why is it such a spectacular collapse? It's spectacular because it, in, in a, for, 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 for people like you and me, it, it was probably foreseen because it originated in the continual and beyond unethical attempts by the... Uh, um, uh, sorry, I've suddenly gone wrong. UDM mm-hmm. uh, candidate and the ANC to get Ethel Trollope, the DA mayor, out of his position. Mm. And despite fighting for that position for a couple of years, in which, during which time Nelson Mandela Bay, as the whole municipality, actually saw some real benefits, they eventually lost their positions and the result was inevitable because the guys who took over um, had... Certainly the last people that would have had any uh, intent to serve were the people of, the, of Nelson Mandela Bay. Of so it was really track- a disintegration from there. Yeah, I was about to say, you're tracking the, what was the uh, political back and forth between the United 
uh, Democratic okay. Movement, uh, that's UDM, uh, which was led by an, a, a one Mongameli Bobani, um, mm-hmm. who was the deputy to uh, Athol Trollope, and they had a big falling out, but saw the UDM then side with the ANC to bring the ANC back mm-hmm. into governance in that part of the world. So, again, it really, you know, it, it, uh, I suppose you could apportion uh, blame on both sides. The DA's seeming spectacular failure to manage coalitions um, mm. that they formed. I mean, this was not just in PE. In Johannesburg, you had the same mm. thing, where a one Herman Mashaba left in mm. a half, um, mm. citing uh, you know the DA's inability to work with other political parties. I think for a South African worried about coalition politics um, mm. into the future, they'll be worried about the seeming inability of the official opposition party to cobble together and, and hold. Coalitions. Yeah, I think I think one of the problems is, I mean, it, it, take example of Bobani, and I, I think that a lot of them are a variation of the same. He was, to use the, our parlance, a real gunner. I mean, he he was such a crook and 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 so devious and had such an appalling uh, backstory. Um, mm. And this is where politics and venality just pr- produce the worst possible result. Absolutely. Um, so, and, speak, and I, yeah. I must move a sorry, because we were close to yeah. our ad break, but it's something I want us to quickly chew on, because it will lead into our conversation after the break. Um, mm-hmm. An appalling nature of, you know, the rising anti-Semitism, basically, on social media um, from mm. these black celebrities, often, often mm. even linked uh, to Black Lives Matter. Um, I mean, just as a, mm. just, just to throw the ball into your court, Black Lives mm. Matter openly supporting the likes of Louis Farrakhan, Louis Farrakhan, for example, mm. um, the avowed mm. uh, anti-Semite. Uh, what do we make about this? You know, these black celebrities basically um, slandering the Jewish community. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it's come to, it, 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 it's tended to be very, very wealthy rap stars, singers, sometimes sports stars, etc. And the latest come to, sort of came to a, and it's been on trending on on uh, the Zionist uh, um, feed. Um, is the is the English rapper who spent forty eight hours essentially just putting out anti semitic comment out of anti semitic comment, and finally there was a an upswell against it. But it's 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 uh, uh, it, 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 I mean it's a comment. I think Farrakhan is very very influential. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know entirely whether it's all of. You know his extreme uh, influence, but this mm. you know there, there's something awful about watching a group of people who are seeking recognition and black and equal rights slating another group in the most bigoted terms. It's crazy. It's actually crazy, and um, I must say we it's crazy that we've run out of time. Uh, let's go to a quick ad break, but we'll, we'll pick up this conversation after the break with our guest Gabriel Krauser from the IRR as we discuss Black Lives Matter. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Let's, let's hop straight into the conversation. We are joined on the line by, as I said, Gabriel Krauser from the Institute of Race Relations. He's a writer and, and an analyst in that part of the world. And um, he's produced a very fascinating uh, inside look into Black Lives Matter. You might be someone who has a child at school, uh, maybe at work. He's been asked to support Black Lives Matter, maybe to take a knee in support of it. Um, but do you know what you're, you're supporting? Do you know exactly what the Black Lives Matter movement is? And I think this is where Gabriel's report is rather insightful. Gabriel, welcome to the IRR show. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. 
a tada. Welcome, welcome. So, Gabriel, yes, we, we've sort of set it up, you know, before the break, uh, we, we were having this conversation around um, what, what is becoming the rise, if you will, uh, unfortunately, of anti-Semitism on social media, particularly from these sort of, you know, black um, stars, whether they're in sports or media. Uh, a prominent example recently was Nick Cannon, who used to be the host of Wild and Out in America. You know, he said some really egregious things, um, which he eventually retracted once, you know, he had, he realized, you know, it's a bit of a hornet's nest that he kicked. Um, but also, you know, there's other characters who are just unrepentant, um, all of whom uh, often um, plead, uh, pledge, excuse me, allegiance to the likes of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter itself also expressing some serious anti-Semitism. But before I get into any of that, how about you share with us what your findings were? Like, is it the same thing to say I support the Black Lives Matter organization uh, and to say I support Black Lives Matter? Or I said that Black Lives Matter. Sorry, I butchered that question a little bit. But uh, (laughs) what is Black Lives Matter, uh, Gabriel? Right. So, I mean, it's a series of letters. It's a bunch of words. And uh, sometimes words have multiple meanings. So at one level, it's just a statement of fact. It's a slogan that some people might want to use when they want to draw attention to uh, an abuse of state power, which is particularly discriminating against black people. And I think that that slogan can be sound in, in those contexts. Uh, but it is... No accident that that slogan has become popular. It was deliberately made so by an organization called the Black Lives Matter Global Network, which was founded in 2013 by Opal Tometi, Patrice Cullors, and Alicia Garza. The latter two are self-described trained Marxists. The former has met with the dictator of Venezuela, Maduro, and praised the Venezuelan uh, Bolivarian Revolution, uh, despite immiserating millions of people, driving refugees, crashing democracy and so on. She said it was really great because finally there's a world leader who's standing up for the poor and uh, for black people around the world. Uh, so they have a particular agenda and uh, you can read what that agenda is on their website and on the Movement for Black Lives website, which they are an officially endorsing member of. That's sort of where their policy planks are laid out. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a laundry list of, of crazy ideas. They want to defund the police study by Roland Fryer and Tamaya Devi, a Harvard professor uh, and his associates, which found that if you combine Black Lives Matter protests with pattern and practice systemic racism investigations, what you end up doing is bunkering down the police, isolating them from the community so that they don't actually stop criminals from getting around. And they found uh, 450 deaths of mostly black people per annum excess as a result of that combination of BLM and pattern and practice investigations. And to give some context, they say that's about three times more than the deaths from 1880 to 1902 from lynchings, which was the most Mm. gruesome period of lynchings. So they say, like, there's got to be a way of doing this that doesn't actually cost black lives. And there are names to some of those black lives in the latest round of protests. David Dawn, Dave Patrick Underwood, Chris Beattie, Marie Kelly, the last two were black people who went to Black Lives Matter protests that they thought were going to be peaceful, they turned violent, so they tried to flee and they were shot dead. Uh, mm. So, And Black Lives Matter activists haven't stood up to criticize that. I, I point to two uh, sort of leading celebrity activists that aren't 
official members of the BLM Global Network, but that give you a, a sense of what the movement's leadership more broadly are like. One of them is Colin Kaepernick, who's the guy who invented the idea of taking a knee to show solidarity for Black Lives Matter. He said uh, he's pinned a tweet since George Floyd's death saying, uh, basically, there will be cries for peace, uh, but they must fall on deaf ears because we've got the right to fight. Uh, revo- re- revolution or revolting is the only logical option. Uh, so he hasn't been put off by the number of black bodies lining the streets as a result of this uh, movement. And neither has Al Sharpton to a certain extent. Mm. Al Sharpton is the religious leader uh, of the BLM broader movement. <coughs> and uh, yeah, if you want an anti-Semite, look no further. He, he, he has admitted in Congress to using phrases like blood-sucking Jews, uh, white interlopers, diamond merchants, and so on to describe Jewish people. Uh, he also uh, has admitted to using phrases like cocktail sip Negroes to denigrate black people that uh, are conservative or don't agree with his views. Uh, mm. And when he was asked about this in Congress at the end of last year, he said, guys, you know, you should, you should, you should celebrate me for saying these things because it shows that I'm an equal opportunity racist, basically. You know, I don't just hate white people. I hate Jews. I hate black people Crazy. that aren't like authentic. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of South Africans have no idea, like, who these people are that I'm talking mm. about, but, like, they are the, they're the people with millions of followers. They're the people with an organization worth half a billion rand, at least, called BLM Global Network. They're the change makers, yeah. And now, I want to bring this up, Gabriel, because I think in your report, you made it quite crystal clear, is that there's this almost unspoken blasé acceptance of normalizing hate, and even using hateful language as um, a means of arguing that you're fighting hateful language in a way. Uh, yeah. This weird insistence, for example, if I can extrapolate, that, for instance, if you're black, it should be okay for you to, uh, you know, argue, for instance, and I'll, I'll, I'll channel their arguments and I want you to just dismantle them. It should be okay, for instance, they'll argue, for a black, uh, excuse me, a black individual period to say something like, oh, you know, I'm a victim of white oppression and because of that, I have every right to be able to berate and choose um, or rather pick winners and losers in a society, for example, using race as a form of redressing a past ill. Um, is then, c- can this be called non-racialism, uh, Gabriel, or is, 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 is what we're seeing from Black Lives Matter something different? Yeah, no, it's not non-racialism at all. Um, so we, we trace back the BLM Global Network's ideology and the movement's broader ideology through critical race theory, all the way back to uh, W.E.B. Dubois, who's, mm-hmm. who's in a way the, the grandfather or the godfather of the BLM movement. And Dubois was the greatest, in well, was the most famous black intellectual uh, a little while after the end of slavery, when America was trying to have very serious conversations about how to heal the wounds of the past and create a society in which people can go forward and flourish. And Dubois had uh, studied at Harvard under a bunch of German professors and then went to Berlin to study at university there for a couple of years in the early 80s where he came across the Volksgeist movement. Folk meaning, you know, in that context, race and Geist meaning like soul. So he came back with this thought and he did a series of lectures called Conserving the Races that black people have one soul, that there's one soul distributed across all black people and there's one soul distributed across all Slavs and one soul distributed distributed across all Asians, one soul distributed across all Aryans and so on. And 
So he said, I mean, he was very clear in conserving the races. He said, people, some people like Booker T. Washington are saying, who is another great black intellectual, are saying, you know, we need to start getting over differences of race and start emphasizing individuality, judging people by the content of their character, uh, trying to create a property rights-based system where you where everyone is protected from arbitrary abuse, protected from lynching, protected from terrorism, protected from theft, so that they can use their own talents and ingenuity as individuals or within families to 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 build to build legacies, to build wealth, to add value to others. And in that way, you know, Booker T. Washington's line was like, the way to solve the the problem between black and white in America is the color green, because Americans love dollar bills and they're green. And if and and if black people can make some money, if we can set up a good property rights system so black people can make some money, uh, they will be respected. And, and those racists who refuse to respect them will eventually get priced out of the market. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois said this is completely wrong. We need the, – the answer to racism is not non-racialism. It's more and better racism. That means you need the black race's status to go up. He said, you know, the, the history of the world is not the history of in, individuals but of, of races. Uh, and anyone who tries to override that thought is overriding the central thought of human history. And you can see this in three ways that echo through critical race theory and the Black Lives Matter movement. One is that there's no focus on the individual aside from sort of anecdotal ways to drive up theory about a race-based narrative. So, you know, George Floyd's life matters, but Marie Kelly's life doesn't matter uh, on their line. Uh, the, the, the second thing is that every individual status is, is supposed to be derivative of the state of their race, and so the mission is not to get people to stop judging each other by race, but to get people to judge the black race in a different way, judge it as supreme in some unique, uh, incommensurable way uh, that's different to everyone else. This was Dubois' line too. You know, the, the black voice has a truth to tell that is unlike any other. Mm. And then the third thing is this codifying co- uh, codes of conduct that are race-specific. So black people should act one way, white people should act another way, Jews should act another way. Like uh, if 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 you're not qualifying Jewish people as white, which is or black, which is all kind of a bit weird. They've sort of lost the plot mm. there a bit. But they, but this is what they try to do is they try to say if you want to know how you should behave, look at the color of your skin, and that is the script for how you should live a good life. And if you fail to act according to the color of your skin, which means if you're white, you should take a knee and bow and say, I'm sorry. If you're black, it means you should sort of sing and dance and um, recite poetry about pain. Uh, uh, if, if you don't act according to scripts, then you, then you, then you're attracted to your race and you're, and you're overlooking mm. your own soul, which is, it's mm. like, it's deeply, mm. oh man, it's, it's deeply strange, but it's, but it's, it's a hundred year legacy. And look, just one last, Thing about the Volksgeist, like that yeah. idea, Dubois planted that seed in America, uh, but the seed was already planted in Germany and was growing, and and we know where it went. That's right. What what race That's status right. and causes of conduct get you? Uh, sorry, I don't know if you want to ask a question, but I have just one more question um, uh, to, to Gabriel. Gabriel, I think you've aptly described the ideological underpinnings that that sort of guides. Uh, not only who are the founders of the Black Lives Matter organization, but also it's filtered into the broader movement. Um, let's bring it home, Gabriel, because I think, you know, th- there might be people who are listening to us now, uh, you know, maybe parents and at school, they're getting these messages from, you know, um, the school saying, oh, you know, we, we, we might be doing a Black Lives Matter themed blah, 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 right? Or maybe yeah. in the workplace, there's, there's an innate pressure to, to owe fealty. 
uh, to Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we're watching it in our sports. You know, it, it's becoming the the go-to, if you will, for being mm. trendy. Um, but as you said, a lot of people don't know the ideology behind it, and a lot of people don't know what drives uh, you know, the ideology. They think it's non-racialism, but really it's a form, it's a developing form of racial supremacy. Um, talk to me about its influence here in South Africa and the dangers, um, or rather the, the mismatch, if you will, of the ideology, uh, for us as South Africans. What, what, just your opinions right. on that. Right. So I think that if, just to say to any parents, workers, anyone who is facing this at work, the question that you should be asking yourself if you're thinking about endorsing it or that you should be asking your institution if it's thinking of endorsing it is, is the Black Lives Matter movement living up to its name? You know, there are a lot of cases where you've got movements that have got nice sounding names. Uh, during our, our talk, uh, people talked about the sort of People's Democratic Republic of Congo. Was it really living up to its name? Uh, North Korea's name is so long, I can't even remember it, but it's also it sounds very nice. <laughs> so, you know, and, and this is an important thing because the name, those three words denote a fact, which is correct. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that anything done in the name of those three words is actually living up to the semantic content of those three words. And I think that it becomes so clear when you look at its influence in South Africa. Mm. Uh, Institute of Race Relations tried very hard. I think we were at the cutting edge, really, of drawing attention to the systemic pattern and practice of uh, police uh, abuse, uh, arbitrary abuse. During the lockdown, Sifia, I think your 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 vlogs uh, were were striking in that regard. I think there was nothing mm-hmm. like it. And mm-hmm. Anthea, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey, my our esteemed colleague, uh, she came at it with also from that sort of cold fact point of view, uh, mm-hmm. pointing out that in the first six weeks, fifty people were killed or died in poli- by the police or, or died in police custody in the first six weeks of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Most people only know the names of three: Sibusisa, Amos, Petrus, Michael, Collins, Causa, uh, mm-hmm. and. Only Collins Causa really got a lot of airtime, but we we try to push that issue and, and, and call for police reform because we've got a leadership, police ministers and, and and commissioners who've said things like, you only get one shot, make it a kill shot. If you don't have a warrant, slap them around. I'll deal with the consequences later. Crush the bulls, make them drink urine. You know, very violent. Don't be sorry about what happened at Maricano. These are all direct quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a pattern of leadership that's setting up bad incentives, bad, poor training. A lot of, lot of our, our men and women in blue really want to serve and protect, but, but the, whew, the incentives are not right and the leadership mm. is not right and the accountability is exactly zero. You know, 4,000 mm. complaints of torture last year, average, uh, 120, 200 uh, complaints of rape by the police, no accountability. Mm. So where does Black Lives Matter come into this? Well, a lot of people were very quiet about uh, the police brutality during the lockdown. In fact, mm. a lot of people were very noisy, like the EFF loved calling the police and saying, you know, we call on the police to go and, and, and keep people at home and so on. Uh, mm. And uh, there comes the Nelson Mandela Foundation after George Floyd's death and, and finally finds its voice um, uh, about police brutality and says, guys, we should really protest Collins Cause's death now a month after the fact mm. uh, because it's just like the death of George Floyd, it's, it's the fault of white supremacy. That's the phrase they use, white supremacy. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the president jumps on that. A lot of politicians jump on that because it offers a perfect scapegoat. Mm. You know, if you've got a, our, our armed forces, police and army, 90% uh, black in a broader definition at the rank and file level and almost 100% at the top leadership level. 
so, you know, if you want to find something to blame, you need to look for real culprits, people who've actually pulled the trigger when they shouldn't have, people who've actually uh, beaten people with shambox when they shouldn't have, or mm. leaders who've set up those bad incentives when they shouldn't have. Uh, mm. But but what would that mean? That would mean embarrassment. The ANC, it would mean embarrassing people in powerful positions. And they wouldn't want to do that. They'd much rather rather fight ghosts, you you know, white supremacy ghosts, because Mm -hmm. you can keep punching that. It can't punch back. uh, And and, and what does that do? I mean, the real effect of that has been to hijack a very serious and important conversation about Mm -hmm. police brutality in this country, which, by the way, you know, South Africa's problem is not just that we've got brutal police. It's also that we're under-policed. Half a million people have been murdered in this country in the last 25 years. So we mm. need two things. We need more police and we need better police. We need to police the police. We need more police That's and right. police more police. But we can't get either of those if what we're looking for is white supremacist ghosts in the machine mm. uh, to blame for everything. And that's the, that's the only real effect that I've seen Black Lives Matter have, have in South Africa at, at the level of police brutality, which is theoretically where that movement starts. Absolutely. Gabriel, I must take a break. Um, after the break, we'll continue our conversation. I want to ask you what some of the solutions could be um, and some of the interventions to both police brutality and also just, you know, maybe even race relations. Um, I want to ask you to, just to delve into that a little bit um, after the break um, as we have our last 10 minutes in conversation with Gabriel Krauser from the IRR. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. All right, welcome back to the IRR show. We are in conversation uh, with Gabriel Krauser from the Institute of Race Relations about Black Lives Matter. What is it exactly? Do you know what it is? Um, you know, are you maybe facing pressure um, at school, at work, um, in your social uh, spaces to, you know, take a knee and raise a fist? For this organization, but again, as I asked the question, do you know what it really is? Um, and does it match your values? And Gabriel, of course, has done an excellent uh, job at um, answering these questions in a report, which we'll uh, give information on at the very end, including how you can read it yourself. We are in conversation with Gabriel in the last sort of nine minutes that we have. Sorry, I don't know if you have any questions that you maybe, uh, you know, you, you want to put to Gabriel, because I think, you know, he's raised some really valid points on the issue of not only race relations, but, you know, certain interest groups who can, you know, hijack these issues. Can I just ask a quick question? Uh, just in the area people would notice it most, and that is with uh, sports teams um, taking on the Black Lives Matter issue, uh, wanting to express support for it, and wanting to take the knee before before matches, whether it be cricket or um, soccer in England. And you have the problem where you're dealing with probably fairly naive people who don't know what you anything that you know, and mm. also the fact that if you don't do it. You likely to look, you, you like, you'll be looked askance at, if I can put it that way. Uh, Gabriel, how does one deal with that either on the one side of the supporters and the others who don't really want to do it? Yeah, so, okay, from, from the supporters point of view, my feeling is if you want to support the BLM movement, then what you need to know is that the leadership of that movement stands for Marxism, stands for more and better racism is the solution stands for this Volksgeist ideology and they are driving the movement they're in charge, they're in charge of the organizations they're in charge of getting the talking points onto CNN and the New York Times, if you want to change that, then you've got a big task ahead of yourself to actually get into that movement, 
untopple its leadership or, or from the outside criticize the leadership and say these people are steering the BLM movement in a direction that's not right. So, you know, it's much more than just taking a knee. You've actually got to be serious about uh, distinguishing yourself from the basically the terrorists, the race nationalists and the Marxists who are use, who drive BLM global network. Uh, if you are not a supporter of the BLM movement because you believe it doesn't live up to its name and you don't feel like taking a knee, I think, you know, you might consider just making your reasons clear, you know, make it clear that you, you believe in non-racialism, you don't, you, you don't, you stand against police arbitrary abuse of, of violence, but that you've noticed that the sports star who made taking a knee popular calls for violent revolution at a time when black people are being killed by violent revolution. That's not living up to its name and taking a knee is sort of lending your weight to his way of doing things. It's literally copying his gesture. And I think if you just explain yourself in that way, then, you know, maybe people, some people are going to look at your response, but I think probably a lot more people are going to, are going to notice that you're not just sort of playing a gesture game. You're not just involved in like a popularity contest, how to pick up the new fad and be trendy. You, you're going to come off as much more serious than the the sort of fools and knaves who are, are, are currently driving the narrative about the very issue that matters, which is, you know, racism, is discrimination against people, is arbitrary abuse of state violence. And I think we should all be serious about those issues, which means, you know, being critical. There is, there's, there's no seriousness without reason, responsive, critical thinking. So I think that's, I think that's uh, a way forward uh, for, for the sports stars. Gabriel, maybe just hold that thought because something else which is actually quite serious and uh, Sarah, we actually forgot to do it when we came back from the break is the idea of Tisha B'Av, isn't it, Sarah? Yes, apologies. I was, I was, it's one of those mute moments, uh, that goes with technology. Um, if I could just state that Tisha B'Av is never an easy observance and this year that's even more true. We want to help you, so Chai FM will be bringing you some of the top international and local speakers to help you find meaning, insight, and inspiration. Join us here on 101.9 from 6 p.m. on Wednesday, the 29th of July, for 25 hours of Tisha B'Av 2020, as we get through this inspired, motivated, and together. Please note all regular programming will fall away for the observance of Tisha B'Av 101.9 Chai FM. One nation, one community, one station. Thanks for that. Absolutely. And, uh, Gabriel, I have to come back to you then, so far as, mm. you know, just us wrapping up the conversation, you know, our last 30 minutes. Um, you know, I think you've aptly described, you know, what people can possibly do when that pressure builds, because it, it's almost become a, a trendy thing, hasn't it? Mm. You know, it's almost lost the, 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 the any, what would have been any sort of serious, um, initial impetus that, that, that rightly started this movement. Um, and it's now devolved into, uh, you know, uh, take a knee, bend a knee to us or, or else, you know, else will destroy your life. Will, uh, you know, it, it's very yoked to cancel culture now. So if you don't say black lives matter or you say all lives matter as one Mark Fish, for example, online or Buta Dipana, uh, said, you know, then there must be an attempt to ruin you and ruin your life because you must be this terrible racist, they'll say. But yeah. are they, are, are people who say all lives matter, are they racist? Uh, Gabriel, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if, uh, the, the best, I, I recommend everyone read Coleman Hughes. He's the only person mm. younger than me who I'd ever recommend. He's great. Mm. He was 
was a young black American uh, who was the same age as Trayvon Martin when he was killed. And as a teenager, he wore Black Lives Matter T-shirts. He loved the movement. He stood for it. But then he went to university, learned a little bit about critical thinking, learned about looking at the data and found that the data has is is there's the data strongly shows there's no racial bias in uh, police shootings in America. It also, mm. if you look at stories like Tony Timper's story, he draws attention to this white American who was killed in exactly the same way as George Floyd mm. a couple of years ago on video, horrific death. No one cared about it. No one was prosecuted about it. Uh, so he says, you know, he says all lives matter. It shouldn't just be a clapback. Like people are saying black lives matter. You shouldn't try and shut them down by trying by saying all lives matter. But if you look at the data and the stories and you find, he says, you know, the big issue with the left is they need to realize police brutality in America is not about racism. Uh, But the people on the right need to realize that there is police, a problem with police brutality. And that's where all lives matter comes in. That should be the rallying cry for ending police brutality. It shouldn't be a way of saying the status quo is okay. Uh, And if I can just add to that, so check out, Coleman Hughes, uh, Stories and Data is the name. If you just Coleman Hughes, Google Stories and Data, you'll, you'll mm. get a great read. Uh, or if you read it in the report, there's a link to it, and I, and I quote him at length. Um, and the other thing is, in terms of practical ways forward, you know, the we we have addressed this. Uh, we, there's an addendum in the report about private schools, uh, particularly private schools in South Africa, because they're very important institutions, uh, and many of them are religious. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to say this to Christian schools, happy to say this to, to Muslim schools, happy to say this to Jewish schools. Uh, those three great faiths have a core tenet, which is that, you know, God created every individual in a unique and incommensurable way with a soul, which is, which is like nothing else. And, and, and that's, that's the right. basis of value. And, and, and schools must, must know that. If those are their founding principles, they must know that they're, that they're onto something. This is the cornerstone of human value. This is the cornerstone of civilization. This is beauty, truth, and goodness all wrapped in one idea. And it's antithetical to the BLM Global Networks platform. It's antithetical to the broader BLM Global uh, movement. And, uh, and, and that's a, and that's a real thing to emphasize. You know, not just all lives matter, mm. but like souls have no color. And the idea that there's a oh, black soul, there's a oh. white soul, no, that's that's just wrong. And 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 kids should be given the freedom to to read into religious texts the the, the true meaning of that. And I also say for secularists, uh, Ubuntu. You know, I was taught at high school by a very close friend of mine in Kosinati uh, that Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Gabantu. Uh, some people say it means a black person is a black person through other black persons, but this is a mistranslation. This is an apartheid way of thinking. Ubuntu is a, a black person. Umuntungumuntungabantu means a person is a person through other persons. It's another way, it's That's a secular right. way to say a soul has no color. And mm. I believe that Absolutely. very deeply. And I believe that uh, it's a good way forward at school. Absolutely. Gabriel, we must end it there, brother, very quickly. Um, how do people find the report? Go to irr.org.za. Go to reports. It's the first report you'll see there. You can also, if you go to the Daily Friend website, I feel very uh, honored. Uh, my my colleagues, John Kane Berman, Ivo Fachter, uh, I think Sari even have, have sort mm-hmm. of written a little bit about it and their links in, in, in their pieces uh, uh, to the report there. And you can also see their more brief text because the report is 26 pages. It's a serious document. And anyone who's involved in an institution being captured by BLM should read the whole report and bring it to the table. But if you want like an 800-word snippet, go have a look at the Daily Friend. Fantastic. Gabriel, thank you so much. That's Gabriel Krauser, of course, from the Institute of Race Relations, a writer and analyst there. After the break, we wrap up the show by looking at what what you can expect in the Newsweek ahead. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
we we uh we, we wrap up the show. So any live reads before we maybe continue? Yeah, uh, we, okay. we we've done. That. All right. So uh yeah, sorry, interesting conversation we just had with Gabriel. Um mm. but uh what's on your radar for the rest of this week? Okay, I'm going to just do a personal punt. I'm actually writing a second article that deals with people like Al Sharpton and uh, mm. BLM, etc. Mm. So that should be fun. Um, on my radar, the IMF is obviously just going to gather steam as a news item, um, a, a news item that that sort of goes into the worst of. Uh, uh, black union politics is that the Congress of South African Students and certain teachers' unions threaten to close private schools, which are either mostly online or going to close next week anyway. But it, it says more about them than it does about the private schools. Mm. Um, and so I think I think that's issues going to percolate. And obviously, what's going to percolate even more? Um, sorry, uh, what's going to percolate more is. Uh, Covert corruption. I think we're either going to find out more about what we know or we're going to find out about what we know and don't know now and hope we would never find out about. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, look, maybe from my side, guys, I'll be looking out, of course, uh, and I'll, I encourage you to look out for the Big Daddy Liberty Show uh, on Wednesday tomorrow as we talk about, you know, the, the idea that's, that's sort of being shoved in our faces of redistribution being a way of getting us back into the economic black, so to speak, and the follies of that. So we, that rather we need economic growth and inclusive growth if we're going to recover from the lockdown's effects. And of course, on Friday on the BDL show here on High, you can look forward to a conversation with a tobacco farmer and a liquor store owner, the effects that the prohibition have had on them, the real stories behind the prohibition. So look forward to that. I will also be keeping an eye on the IMF issue. I think it's going to be the central issue. The South Africans are actually mm. talking about this online. Um, you know, th- there is a real concern now as to the effects. And not that there hasn't been before, but right now it's, it's, it's so pronounced. Um, the effects on corruption on our society. The fact that we can't even trust that a, a international loan like this will find its way into the pockets of ordinary South Africans, um, as opposed to the pockets of the crooked political elite in this country. So we'll be keeping an eye on, on that. And, um, Sarah, any last words before we wrap up? Uh, not really. That's, that's just it. I think we're just going to go from crazy to crazier. Alrighty, indeed, sadly so. And you can read all about it, of course, on the Daily Friend website. That's www.dailyfriend.co.za. All your news, analysis, and opinion on there. So from Saragon and me, Big Daddy Liberty, this has been the IRR Show. We'll see you next week, Tuesday.